Today's episode is sponsored by American Creative Consulting. If you need a fresh look for your business or side hustle, contact ACC for pricing. Specializing in high-quality, low-cost websites and design, their team of designers will be exactly what you need to succeed in 2020. Visit designedbyacc.com to get started now. Thanks for downloading. If you haven't done so already, check out my book, Behind the Pink Ribbon, on Amazon and Amazon Kindle. In my book, I share my personal journey behind the pink ribbon. On this episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Monique Colwell, a two-year breast cancer survivor. Monique was diagnosed with stage three invasive ductal carcinoma at the age of 43. She talks about having some firmness in her breast, but being pushed off by doctors, and then going from what she thought was going to be stage zero cancer to actually stage three. Take a listen in to Monique's story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Monique. Monique is a two-year breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma stage three uh, at the age of 43. So I want to welcome you to the podcast, Monique. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. We're going to talk about your story today, and I want to first start with how you found out that you had breast cancer. Did you find a lump? Did you go for a regular mammogram? What kind of happened? I did not have the best of luck when it came to that. So I had a really, on my left breast, I had some firmness that my husband had noticed and I had noticed and I had just recently moved to this area where I'm currently living and so I made an appointment went to the doctor thinking okay like let's figure out what this is I've never had a mammogram previous because people kept saying oh we can push you off push you off you're slender you have no history so anyways I went to the doctor and I'm like okay I'm kind of concerned about this firmness And the doctor's like, you don't have anything to be worried about. We think it's fibrous tissue, like you have dense breasts. It's probably absolutely nothing. And I'm like, well, I would like to have it checked off. And I was getting pushed off again, like, you know, you're you're young. You probably you don't I don't foresee you having any issues. You don't, I guess, have the body type. But you were 43 when you were diagnosed. Yes, they were pushing me to age 50 because of the new standards. The new standards, they have changed? It's back to 50? Yes. Yes. I have not heard that. (laughs) That's They were pushing me. They were like, well, you might be able to get one when you were 45. And I'm like, no, I don't want to wait. Like, I want to know what this is. Right. So she's like, okay, why don't you go in? We can get you a baseline. That way, you know, we have something to compare it to. And I said, okay, great. So I went over and I got my mammogram and they they found something and I'm like okay it has to be related to that hard mass so was it a mass or it was 
You and said it, you oh, talked about he- firm. It was firm, but it turned okay. out to be a mask. So, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, that's okay. It's totally fine. So in terms of like firmness, was it like you didn't feel like a bump or like maybe something no. that would feel like a marble? Or- no, I... Okay. I Yeah, it just felt firm and it wasn't like a bump. There was no protruding anything. I had no lumps. I had no visual symptoms. Okay. And which, yeah. So I went in and they said, oh, yeah, we found something. We should have you come back. We want to, you know, maybe biopsy it. And I'm like, okay, great. And I'm thinking, oh, it's that spot. So when I talked to them, they're like, nope, we found something down below. And I'm like, okay, well, what about this firmness up here? And they're like, well, we're pretty sure it's fibrous. We don't see anything in it. And I'm like, okay. So then they're like, well, let's get you into a biopsy. And see if, you know, this little tiny green assault, it was tinier than a green assault at the bottom of my breast. And that's what they were more interested in. And so they were trying to figure out when to schedule me because I guess they were going on vacation and whatnot. And so they were pushing me out like four months. And I'm like, I oh don't my gosh. Wait. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I wasn't expecting four months. <laughs> No, no months. I mean, I'm yes. thinking vacation, maybe a week, maybe a week and a half. No. But four months. No, they were all taking tons of time off and they it was it was kind of a nightmare. So I said, no, figure me out. I will come in at any hour at this point. Like I don't want to wait. Yeah. So they I got in two days later. I showed up at like 6 a.m. They got me ahead of everybody. And at that point, I'm just happy because I didn't want to wait. So So they you weren't necessarily scheduled they were just like okay she's not gonna she's not gonna let this fly (laughs) well and they said they don't blame me if they were in my shoes they would want to know so they understood okay so the nurses there were pretty cool once they figured out that I didn't want to wait okay so they kind of squeezed you in before maybe the appointments technically started yes so we got me in and so they did the biopsy with the huge needle and all that and that happened on a Wednesday and on Friday they called to tell me it was cancerous and I said, okay, like give me details. And they said, oh, it's stage zero. There is nothing to worry about. This is why we do mammograms. You are so lucky we caught this so early. You're never going to have to do radiation and chemotherapy. So we're going to send you to the plastic surgeon. The plastic surgeon's just going to pluck it out and you can go on with your life. Oh my gosh. And, oh yeah. It gets oh my better. God. <laughs> oh yes. I, yes. Well, I, I want to kind of ask you a little bit about the, the biopsy just because they're not looking at the area that was firm. They're looking at this Correct. little tiny grain of salt. Correct. So I know that the whole idea is, you know, they, they insert a big needle Yes. Um, and they tried to aspirate the the tissue of the tumor. Yes. So I what, this. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I'm just kind of curious, like if it was that small, what were they trying to get to? They saw calcification. Okay. And so sometimes they can be cancerous. So that's what he was trying to get to, the radiologist. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> And unfortunately, I live in an area where there's no oncology at the moment. Where do you live? So, I live in Pullman, Washington. Pullman, Washington? Yes, it's okay. home to WSU. It's a big college football 
place. <laughs> it's a great place to live. And just there's no, no oncology. So yeah. okay. when they called to tell me they were going to send me to a plastic surgeon and get it plucked out and that they'd send me a reminder in a year for my next mammogram, I'm like, this is weird. I'm like, I probably, I would like to have an oncologist say, yes, you are on the right path. That was, it was weird to me. And of course, the closest place for me to go is Spokane, Washington, which was an hour and a half away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I picked up the phone that Monday because it was late in the afternoon on a, on a Friday. So everything was closing. Mm-hmm. So I called first thing Monday and made an appointment to go get a second opinion to see if, you know, going to the plastic surgeon and getting this minute speck removed because it was supposedly stage zero was a good plan or right. if, you know. Yeah, because I just Yeah. I wanted somebody who deals with that to kind of figure it out. For sure. So and so said, at this point, you're kind of thinking that's what it's going to be. Like it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just this, I, you know, speck, as you said. And it'll be, you know, go get it done and move on. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. So I made the appointment and they needed to get my record. So it would take about a week. So I got, so two weeks later I was in, so me and my husband went, my husband went with me because he wanted to know also. So we're sitting there and the nurse comes out to get me and she gives me a big hug and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, like this is weird. Like, And it's a nurse that you've never met. Correct. And she's like, and she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm thinking, sorry for what? Because I'm thinking, and I'm like, and you know, that just kind of, that was my, I'm like looking at my husband going, okay, something weird's going on. Absolutely. I mean, I would not expect somebody to be, you know, like, I mean, maybe, maybe she's super sensitive. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm thinking this is stage zero. That would be weird. I would think it would be weird. Yeah. It was weird. So I go in and sit down with the, with the oncologist and she's like going on about this huge mass, huge mass, and that it had infiltrated my lymph nodes. And I stopped her and I said, who are you speaking of? Like, that's like, I have this little speck and the doctor had put in a marker so that the, that the plastic surgeon could easily find it. Like, who are you speaking about? Right. Wrong and she chart. Look, and she's looking at me and she like has me pull up the chair and look at the screen and says, this is you, right? And I'm like, that's my name. And she goes, we have no idea why they did that because the air, this, and it was the place where I had the firmness. She goes, yeah, you're going to have to do radiation chemo. We're not sure how far advanced if it's effect, if it's spread. Yeah. That changed my whole life right there. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, for yeah. for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. You were kind of thinking this was going to be something that, you know, and I don't, I would never, ever use the word easy, but it would be minimal, minimally invasive, mm-hmm. minimal Correct. treatments. Um, you know, certainly none of it's easy to go from from thinking that it's stage zero to stage three yes. is a big difference, it is a huge difference, and the fact that he missed the big mass, the the radiologist there missed the big mass, and I kept being told that it was just fibrous, and then, you know, find out that they should have ultrasounded it, and they would have found it easier that way. Right. So, yeah, 
it was like, okay, well, I guess I get to put my shoes on and jump to the front of the line and go, wow, what are we doing? Let's get this show on the road. <laughs> they, when you had your biopsy, did they not do it via ultrasound? They didn't. Um, no, they did it via the mammogram machine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know yes. that was an option. I did mine. It was ultrasound guided. So I'm thinking, how did they miss that? <laughs> like, why would you not cover the entire breast? Um, no, Pete, they did it by the mammogram machine. Apparently, if you get the brand new 3D Im- imaging machines, you can do uh, biopsies through it. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, they didn't have those around when I was going through my treatments, or at least my hospital didn't have access. So, okay. So what were you thinking and feeling at that point? Oh, I was a little angry. I won't lie to you. Because I was like, well, how do you miss this? And rightfully so. I'd be angry too. Yes, yes. So, and then I'm like, okay, crap. Now I have to figure out what to do because this is all new ground to me because I don't know anyone that has gone through this. So it was like, okay, I guess I get to figure this all out. Let's go for it. That's, you know, because I'm obviously I want to live. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So I just jumped right in and said, let's figure this out as we go. And what about your husband? I mean, he was, was he there in the room with you? Yes. And yeah, he, he was more in shock than I was. Like he just kind of sat there in disbelief, like this was actually happening. Whereas I was like, okay, this just happened. I'm going to have to process it, but I'm going to have to not, you know, take too long because I need to get this. I need to keep moving. (laughs) Right. And that's for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a great point is that, you know, time really is of the essence and we don't have a lot of time to process. Yes, that is correct. So three days, like two days later, I was having a PET scan and all that, all the scans and the MRIs and all the blood work and just getting me all staged. Right. So, yeah. And then it was like, I think, Three weeks later, I was starting chemo. Okay. So you said that there was no history in your family. Correct. And I I also had the the gene, like I, they had me do that gene sequencing to see if I carry the gene and I do not. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if they sent you through for genetic testing because- They did. Okay. It's, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes they send them through- with a family history and sometimes they don't. And then sometimes people don't really have a strong family history and they send those people through. So it's very, I'm always kind of curious, like how is it decided? Um, Maybe they're just doing it for everybody at this point in time um, Mm -hmm. as they should, in my opinion, in my very humble opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I, I would agree with you. It's good to know. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So then you, did you do, chemo first or did you have a surgery in there what so, so my oncologist so I have it was kind of I wasn't used it was kind of a new way because I'm not used to having options when you show up to the doctor <laughs> so she gave me a choice she could they could go in and remove it if I really wanted it removed or I could do chemo and see if the chemo that they're putting me on works based on whether it shrinks the tumor or not 
So I chose to do the chemo first and then watch to see if we could shrink the tumor and if we were on the right course. Yeah, for sure. And so what was the, do you remember what the size of the tumor was? Let's see. I believe it was five. Five centimeters. Yes. Okay. So that was a pretty size one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you did chemotherapy. How long did you do chemotherapy? I did the, well, a year and a half. Oh, wow. But I did, yeah, but I did the really nasty, nasty stuff um, that makes your hair fall out from, I started that beginning like May and I was done in September. Okay. A year and a half is a long time. Well, I ended up being HR2 positive and it just took forever. We had a, yeah, we could never get my HR2 results. They always kept coming back equivocal. Okay. And what does that mean in terms of equivocal? It means that it is neither positive or negative. It is right smack on the fence. Yes, I had to be difficult. (laughs) And so it's really rare that that happens. So my, for whatever reason, the tumor said, we're not going to give you those results. So when, because I had another biopsy to try to get those results. So they actually took five samples from me and all of them came back equivocal. Wow. I yeah. mean, because that, that really helps to guide in terms of whether or not you need the Herceptin. Yes. And so we decided to, instead of to quit, to, we decided to quit poking me to try to get results. That's kind. That we, yeah. Because <laughs> we were going to have it removed anyways. Yeah. That we just wait until I had my mastectomy to go ahead and then they can play around with all the tissue they want. Right. So then they ended up having to fluoresce it. They had to do this huge long where they grow it in a lab to try to get it. And I, and I barely came back positive. But because I touched my eyes, I like to put it, I dipped my toe on that side of the fence. Then yeah. I ended up taking her septum, which is fine. Okay. So you went, at what point did you have the, well, first of all, did the, the, did the chemo work? Did it shrink the yes. tumor? Okay. Yes, it it was doing it was shrinking the tumors. My lymph nodes were uh, softening up. It looked it for all purposes. It looked like it was doing a great job. Okay, so then at what point did you have the mastectomy? Um, two. Let's see, three weeks after I quit, did my last chemotherapy. So September twenty seventh. Okay, and that was of two thousand eighteen. Um, 2017. Oh, 17. Okay. I'm trying to do math. Not my... Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So, so I... And I elected to have a double because I didn't want this to... I didn't want to take another chance. Right. Right. And it was in the left breast? Correct. Yeah. So you just said, don't want this to ever happen. Just going to go with it. Yes. Okay. And for construction purposes, it does make it look better. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, was, did you do reconstruction at that point in time? I did. I mean, I was on the fence about it, and I'm thankful I did it now. Okay. Because at the time, it wasn't a big deal. But it was one of those decisions that if you were going to do it, you need to make that decision then. Okay. So you did the immediate reconstruction versus the delayed? Well, I had – well, here's the funny part. So until they removed my um, cancer, they had to determine – it also determined whether or not I was going to have radiation. So basically it relied upon if they could get rid of it out of my lip system, mm-hmm. which is really difficult to do. So.
so I I could only have like expanders put in okay. in case I had to do reconst in case I had to do uh, the radiation. Yes. Okay. I ended up. And so you did have I, to do radiation. I did. Okay. And that was my first ever surgery. So I never had gallbladder and appendix. I didn't start with tonsils. Nothing. Wow. Welcome. So that- to the surgery I world. I mean, I go big or go I home, sister. That's what I said. I said, <laughs> well, I'm here. I've never had anesthesia. I've never, you know, I've never taken anything more than Tylenol in my life. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going big. And it kind of freaked out the anesthesiologist a little bit. <laughs> I... He's looking and I'm like, I have nothing to tell you other than I hope I wake up. Wow. I'm sure. I have no doubt that they were probably terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it took and it took them nine hours. Yeah, wow. And your system was probably like, "What in the world is this?" I I actually woke up and felt the best I ever felt in the recovery room. Like I woke up and I remember them saying to me, "What's your pain level?" And I'm like, zero. And they're like, "Seriously, <laughs> what's your pain?" I'm like, "I want to eat." Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I never had that experience. <laughs> Yeah, it was a great experience waking up because, I mean, I was like, okay, I feel great. I can't explain why that happened, but I liked it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would have definitely preferred to wake up that way. Um, So, yeah, that's okay. So how many rounds of radiation did you do? I did, let's see, when it was all said and done, 25. 25, okay. Yes, and then did you have any other kind of treatments, um, any kind of hormone therapy, physical therapy? Yes, yes. So I ha- also, I had a researcher get involved in my case because the Mayo Clinic was also is involved in my case because I can't be normal. I just can't be, I have to be outside of the box in everything I do. So, <laughs> and it was discovered that I produce too much estrogen. Okay. So you're so- ERPR positive. Yes, like I'm off the chart for estrogen. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so it was determined that my ovaries are overproducing. Okay. So we went in and did a full ev- removal of everything. Okay. Just, yeah, just to be on the safe side. So you did the hysterectomy and oophorectomy, which is removal of the um, cervix, the fallopian tubes, and the ovaries? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So I did that, and then I got, and then now I'm on that anti-estrogen, the East, I can never say it correctly, the East Extreme something. I'm not even sure. Is it an aromatase inhibitor? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's an AI. I know that much. (laughs) Yeah. I can never pronounce half those ones at least. That's all right. (laughs) I uh, I think they do that just to complicate things. So when did you have the hysterectomy and the oophorectomy? In March of 2018. Okay. So things kind of really progressed fast for you. Correct. Okay. So, um, and then I was trying to make sense of it. You had the mastectomy and then after you had the mastectomy, you had to go back and do chemotherapy, additional chemotherapy, correct? Correct. Once my results, once my HR2 finally got figured out. Okay. And then I had to jump into a radiation also. So you did radiation and chemotherapy at the same time? Yes. Oh my gosh. What was that like? I don't, honestly, I don't think that I've 
met anyone or know of anyone that has done both at the same time. So I'm kind of curious what that experience was like for you. So it wasn't like the nasty chemo. It was the it was the Herceptin. Then I did it with a with the newer drug called Progetta. Okay. So it wasn't as I guess toxic because you could you could drive yourself for them. So that was the bonus for me. But overall, it wasn't bad. I mean, I did okay with radiation. I did have all the severe burns, so I had to deal with that. But and it does zap your energy. I will tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. And but so in terms of like the therapies, were you able to get those in your hometown, or were you driving an hour and a half? I was driving an hour and a half. And for radiation, you were driving an hour and a half every single day. Uh, no, I actually my okay. husband's relatives put me up. They live in the oh, area. Okay, wonderful. And, <laughs> yes, and because it was on my left side and I had done research because I didn't want the radiation to hit my heart, they have this breathing apparatus mm-hmm. at certain radiation machines. So I did the targeted radiation. Okay. And so I had to have this mask and I would breathe so that when my air, when my lungs expanded, they had a, a way to hit the target but avoid my lungs and my heart okay and it was the only otherwise I thought I was gonna have to go to like Seattle or somewhere to get that because I didn't want my heart damaged or my lungs yeah you know I hadn't even thought about that you know that yeah underneath of your breast on the left side is your heart and mm-hmm. of course if you know the radiation is targeted in that area it can certainly impact your heart yeah, um, so I had yeah, I had done my research previous just in case, so I was prepared. So yeah. So yeah. they put me up and so and plus the doc the radiation doctor wouldn't let me go if unless I had a place to stay because he didn't want to risk me driving because it was it was uh right around Thanksgiving when the, I started radiation. Okay. Cause they had to give me time to heal from my mastectomy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, driving an hour and a half, I can't even begin to fathom. Not that I'm, I'm sure there are people that have done it, but it certainly is not ideal. And especially for radiation. Yeah. So I That's stayed there. Yeah. So I got through that. Wow. And I guess, yeah. So currently you are taking the aromatase inhibitor and I'm assuming that you're, you know, at this point being seen every so often for follow-up and is that kind of what's happening right now? Yes. So right now I am going every three months. I'm still having, I got my first nuclear bone scan and then I get a CT scan and they've all, and they've come back clean. So that's always, that's good news. Yeah. That's a great celebration. It is. So we'll keep up with that because yeah. I will have been, it'll be in December when I've been a year, uh, since a, a year from my last chemo. Okay. So, yeah, and I had my part removed in December also. So, yeah, it's wow. coming up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And those are always, I tell you, those those milestones are always things that continue mm-hmm. <laughs> to, um, you know, live with you. I Every single date I can remember. <laughs> so yeah. you mentioned that you have a husband. Do you have any children? Mm-hmm. Yes, I had a, well, she was six at the time I was diagnosed. She's nine now. Okay. Little, little girl. Okay. Yeah. And 
So I'm assuming that they were really kind of your support system. Yeah, my sister and my mom, and yeah. Yeah, okay. And, I mean, it sounds like obviously your husband's family too, um, mm-hmm. you know, putting you up for that period of time. Um, that's that's amazing, really. It was so appreciative. Oh, my gosh. It made yeah. my life easier. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't even, yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to make that change to not be that far away is mm-hmm. hugely important. So... Um, so kind of thinking, I mean, your, your story really, truly is very different. Um, you know, there are so many layers to it and complexities. Um, I think that yours is the first one where it, it's kind of been, you know, this complex. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, how did all of this impact your life? Is there anything, you know, you're still pretty new into your diagnosis, but I'm curious if there's anything that you, if there's been any positive impact that it's had on your life. Um, yeah, I love the community where I live because these people that haven't known me very long had come, like I had started a job and I'd only been on my job for eight months when this all happened to me. So the outpouring of support from people that barely knew me has been tremendous. That's awesome. It's, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you know, sometimes we talk about people not being neighbors anymore or, you know, not having a sense of community anymore, but to hear that they really kind of pulled through for you when they didn't oh really know you. That's awesome. Yes. I mean, I was, yeah, I couldn't have asked for better neighbors or anything. It was, I mean, they were making sure my husband and my daughter had food when I was, when I was up doing radiation and yeah, people would check and constantly ask how I'm doing. And I, I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. Wow. And did you attend any kind of support groups or anything? Um, no, only because the only support group at the time was in Spokane because there's no oncology. There was, they just opened an oncology satellite office this month here in, in Mo- well, it's in Moscow, Idaho, which is eight oh. miles away, but it's, well, it's, it's still closer. close. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely, so think, definitely closer. <laughs> yes. So I think they're going to try to do a support group. Okay. So I'll probably join now that I can actually you know, eight miles away isn't that big of a deal. No. Yeah. That's certainly doable for sure. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, um, do you have any kind of piece of advice or anything that you would offer up to somebody that might be newly diagnosed and just kind of stepping into the breast cancer world? Um, it's not as bad as one thinks, I would say. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it sucks at the time, but Honestly, you just keep putting your one foot forward and you just focus on, okay, I got through this. I'm still with us. I'm doing great. Yeah. I mean, I, that's all, that's my thing is it's like, I keep going forward. Absolutely. And that's, I would agree with that, that, you know, it's some days it's really all that you can do is put one Mm -hmm. foot in front of the other and just keep going forward because it does suck. It do, it does, but if you keep your eye, I guess, on the prize that okay, you're through the worst part. Everything else is going downhill, so it's great. I mean, in a downhill in a good way. You're meaning 
less surgeries, less treatment. So you got to keep your eye on that, I guess. That's how, that's what got me through it. It's like, okay, I made this milestone. Okay, now on to the other. Right. And do you have any organizations or anything that you tapped into that you thought did a really great job that you could give a, you know, a kudos to? Did you tap into anything? I did. So the hospital that I'd never been to in Moscow, Idaho, called Gritman Medical, they actually reached out to me because of the navigator at the clinic that I go to, the cancer center. And so they actually have been kept correspondence with me and kept and, and they were like helping me with gas money and all that. Okay. To go to drive to treatments if I needed it. Oh, wonderful. That's a, yeah. that's a great thing to have. It is. Especially if you're ex- driving an driving. hour and a half. <laughs> Correct. So I thought that was really nice of them. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. You have shared so much of your story and provided some great insight. Um, I personally want to give a big shout out to your sister, Katrina, for even connecting us and letting me know that you were willing to come on the show. Um, So thank you so much for sharing your story. I have no doubt that it's going to inspire and help somebody else. Thank you. I hope it does. (laughs) Absolutely, it will. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.